And I think there's a place that God is wanting us, even as Tyron spoke a month ago now, about are you all in? Uh, there's There's this sense that God wants us to come to a maturity that is actually, that expresses who he, he is to the world. And uh, let's, so let's have a look at, at, at the Corinthian church there, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. Mere infants in Christ. Remember what I said? This is a church that's meeting together. It's a church in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says they called on the name of Jesus. They were wrestling with theological stuff right through the text, 1 Corinthians 8 to 10. They were doing all the stuff, but Paul considered them immature. It's an amazing thing, friends. Gifts being expressed is not a sign of maturity, according to Paul. Let's see what is. He says, I give you milk. I gave you milk and not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. So there is a place where if people are not ready for the solid food, you can't give it to them because they're going to choke. It's like babyhood, moving from baby, you weaning them onto solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. Quite radical, eh? This is a church Paul planted. So remember all these things that I've spoken about. The church, not only that, they're in contact with Paul, the apostle who planted the church. You think, cheapest, these guys should be the best church in the whole world. But they're not. And Paul says that you're not ready for solid food. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Oh, so it's not the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit that makes them mature. Because you see, the gifts are without repentance. The, the call is without repentance. One of my good friends, Rory Dyer, who is the most naughty oak you'll ever come across, Mark Nyman and I were with him the other day, and we said, Rory, you are the embodiment that the gifts are without repentance. It's absolutely incredible, friends. What we think is maturity is often not what Paul thinks is maturity. And what he's saying here is, I I, I can tell you that you're worldly because there's jealousy and quarreling among you. Oh, so it's not a release of the gifts that makes them mature. It's the release of love that makes them mature. And so what happens is, there's no love, so there's jealousy. I want what you have. I'm not satisfied with what I have. I'm not content with what I have. I'm looking at everybody else for affirmation. And there's quarreling. There's fighting. There's wars amongst them. There's there's bickering amongst them. And he says, actually, you people, you lot, I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care that you're speaking in tongues all the time. I don't care that you're prophesying all the time. You're a bunch of babies. Oh. Oh, you know, you know, you have sheep, and you have goats, and you have wolves. In the Bible, 
Wolves are easily identifiable. They dress themselves up like sheep, but they eat sheep. You know that that's a wolf. Sheep are sheep. They're a bit doff. They do whatever their shepherd tells them to do. They, they just grass, they just walk. They follow the crowd. Sheep. Actually, we're called to be sheep. But sometimes a couple goats grow up amongst us. And you know the difference between a goat and a sheep, hey? It's the butt. So sheep stop saying sheep and they become goats when everything about the scriptures and everything that God says to us, there's a but God. But. No but. Yeah, but but not me. But they are. And but I want that what they have. It's not fair. It's the but. And Paul here is very succinctly going to the heart of these people and saying, actually, there is so much inheritance for this church in the city of Corinth. Actually, I want you to grow up into all things so that you can be a display of my splendor to the city. And it's an amazing thing. The first thing that he hits on there is jealousy and quarreling. Friends, often what we do when we think about solid food we think about more complicated doctrines. Greater truths and mysteries that are yet to be understood. That's the solid food. Actually, when you look at all the commentators and the words that are used for worldly and carnal and whatever here, they're slightly different. And actually what Paul's getting at, this solid food is not greater learnings and greater depths of doctrine. Solid food is the ability to receive something that your behavior is not good and it needs to change. That's solid food. And he says, you're not ready for that. Because as soon as I say that to you, you're going to say, but what about the grace of God? He says, and what you're doing is you're living in this flow of the Spirit, but your maturity level is to such a place that you're actually, you're actually destroying the church, not building up the church. You see, the solid food that he's talking about is a life that's lived that represents him. That's solid food. If you look in Hebrews chapter 6, he talks about those elementary teachings of repentance and the baptisms and the laying of hands and the resurrection from the dead and eternal, the life to come and all. Those are the basic teachings of the Scriptures. The solid food that enables us, the, the ability to take solid food is to be able to receive a word that is uncomfortable, that challenges me to the heart to become more like Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. He says, I can't do these things with you. I've got to keep nurturing you in, 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 in baby stuff. Let's carry on reading. Are you not acting like mere men? So you're acting like people as though you, didn't, you weren't temples of the Holy Spirit. You're acting as though the Holy Spirit wasn't in you, that Jesus wasn't the center of your life. That's what he's saying, when there's jealousy and quarreling among you. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Are you not people that are you're acting as though you don't have the Spirit with you, in you? So the two signs that he said, talks about here, about immaturity, is one, there's fighting, there's jealousy and quarreling, and the other one is you're putting preachers on pedestals. You're taking people whose gift is there for you, and you're idolizing them. And then you're pitting them against each other. 
And one says, I'm, following, I'm a follower of Apollos. Another one says, I'm a follower of Paul. And he says, ultimately, you will go on to read, he says, actually, it's a load of nonsense, friends. Because actually those people are just co-workers, fellow workers in the kingdom of God. And actually this is about Jesus and not about people. You see, this is what immaturity looks like. Friends, I want to ask us to this morning. Are we following people, reading books, or are we following Jesus and reading the Bible? I'm not saying any of those other things are bad. I do them. I'm a, I've got hundreds of books. I love it. But friends, our primary source of life does not come from people. It comes from God. But you know what? It's much easier to follow people because you can go onto Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and follow them. To follow God means you've got to die. Everybody wants resurrection life. Who wants resurrection life? Who, I mean, who doesn't? It's like, whoa. Friends, listen, can I just ask you that? Who wants resurrection life? What does resurrection mean? It means you were dead before. So we want resurrection life, but we're not prepared to surrender our lives to Him. And what He's saying here, He's saying, actually, it's keeping you babies. You're, not, you're coming to me with so much stuff in your hands. I want you to come to me with empty hands. Incredible, eh? Quite simple. What after all is Apollos and what after all is Paul? Only servants whom you came to believe, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants or he that waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers with you. We are God's fellow workers, you are God's field and God's building. Amazing, eh? Let's carry on reading. Let me just finish reading this and we can get to it. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God dis God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Remember the word there, you, is not me, I'm the temple. It's we are the temple together. So the reason why they're destroying the temple, these things, this jealousy and quarreling and choosing one person and one preacher over the other is destroying the church. It's destroying the church. Anything that has not got love in it destroys. And he's saying this is destroying the church. And he says, be careful, be careful, be careful. This is sacred in God's eyes. Don't touch it. You've got to grow up. So we start building the church and not destroying the church. Verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise, by the standards of this age, he should become a fool, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. 
And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to urge this community, he's trying to urge this community into maturity. He's trying to urge this community into maturity. Friends, for us to take ground, for us to step into what God has for us, there's got to be high levels of maturity amongst us. Because what's going to happen is God's going to start to elevate some and promote some. But everybody's got to rejoice at the promotion of some and perhaps not at me. Must I tell you what splits churches and divides churches? Is relational dishonor and lack of trust. And God needs us as a people to grow up in Him so that He can promote us into what He has for us. Let's have a look here at the five things that enslave us and keep us immature. The five things that enslave us and keep us immature. The first thing is this, he says this, all these things are yours. So then there's no more boasting about all these things are yours. Paul upon us. So, so every teaching, every gift that God has released on the earth through the internet and whatever is ours. We never elevate the gift and supplant it with God. Actually, we, we know that this is a gift. They are servants of God. They are, they are people that are called to be co-workers with God. Actually, God is the, God is the boss, not them. That's the idea there. And I love, I love what it says there. It just it hit me the other day when I was reading this. It says that uh, in verse 8, it says, Each one will be rewarded according to his own labor. Each will be recorded. Each of these gifts will be, recorded, will be rewarded according to their own labor. And I thought, cheap is this amazing thing. It doesn't say each of these gifts will be rewarded according to their fruitfulness. It says they'll each be re rewarded according to their labor. You see, each gift is meant to play their part. And somebody sows a seed and plants a seed, but they don't see the evidence of a plant. But they planted the seed. And another person who didn't know what was planted, they just know there's something planted here, yeah, just water it. Just water it. By faith, they water something until something, signs of life start to emerge. You see, that's why you get rewarded according to your labor, not according to your fruitfulness. Because actually, you might be, not be the one that sees the plant emerge. But actually, somebody else will, but God sees your planting. And God sees your watering. Just carry on with your labor. Amazing, eh? And so what he's saying here, he's saying, actually, that's maturity. You play in your land, you play in your land, you play in your land, and together we win the race. Somebody has to run first around the track, somebody second, third, and what, somebody has to be last. The one with the baton that crosses the, the lane and last gets the medal or crosses the line with the glory. But it's the other four people that got that person there. And what he's saying is you've got to grow up because otherwise everybody's going to be the one to be the last runner. But somebody has to be the first runner. But the first, last runner can't do it without the first runner and everyone in between. That's what maturity looks like. So don't argue and get jealous and start to fight. Know that everybody plays their part. And you be faithful to play the part that God's called you to play and you will be rewarded for it. You will be rewarded for it. I'm getting distracted here now. All things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus, Cephas. So he's saying all of these, all of these gifts are yours. 
Don't have to choose between Paul and Apollos. Both are yours. Learn from both of them. Receive from both of them. And Cephas, Peter, all three of them. Receive from both of them. You don't have to choose. No, Paul is my father, and I only listen to him. No, 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 friends. We learn from everybody and take what God is teaching us and apply it into our lives and our context and live that out for 2019 in Durban, in the winter of Durban. And then he carries on. He says, all of these people are using. And then he says this. All these things are yours. The world is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. The present is yours. And the future is yours. All are yours. Have a thought of that. You see, the signs of immaturity is when you start taking those five things and stop believing that God put them there for you. You see, in some way, we are not to be part of the, we're not, we, we're not to be part of the world, but in, in other ways, actually, the world is ours. And he's saying, don't become worldly. But look, let's, let's, I'm jumping ahead. Let's what it says here. The first thing is this. I'm going to look at those things, the world, life, death, present, and the future. He says, all of those are yours. If we want to live in maturity, we've got to take those five things and see them through the lens in which God sees them and put them into our lives. Not be fearful, not be ashamed, not be anything. Just put them into perspective and live life through that grid. And he's saying, actually, then you'll be mature. So the first thing is this, the world. In my Strong's Concordance, it says this. When it says the world, the world it means cosmos is the Greek word. It says an apt and a harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, government, or government. So the cosmos is an organized system. The world is an organized system. So there's nothing wrong. When God created, he created the cosmos. The problem is, friends, is that right now we live with a fallen cosmos. And so the structures and the arrangements that the world brings are not always healthy for you and me and for human life to flourish. In fact, there's a lot of backbiting, there's a lot of selfishness, there's a sort of lot of self-promotion, there's a lot of all sorts of things that happen in the world for financial gain. In fact, you get fired if you don't produce fruit. You're not going to get rewarded for your labor, you're going to get rewarded for what you can sell. That's how the world works. And he says here, he says, actually, the world is yours. You see, what happens with this structure, this, this fallen system, is it squeezes us into its mold. And as soon as we are not transformed by the renewing of our minds, but rather are conformed to the worldly, worldliness around us, actually we stay immature and cannot go into what God has for us and take ground. So he says the first thing, the world. James chapter 1 verse 27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Friends, we have become, got to become a people that are perfectly insulated from the world but never isolated from the world but live in the world for effect. And he says this, he says this, please don't let the world affect you. It's yours. I've given you this world. Who knows that God has given us Durban, the church Durban. The Durban is Jesus's. The world is Jesus's. Actually, the world is ours to inhabit, to infiltrate, to influence, to impact. Not for the world to impact us. 
Do not love the world or anything in the world, 1 John chapter 2 says. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Amazing, eh? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come from the world. And he says this, he says, do you not understand the world is yours? This world, friends, has got to be seen differently. It's not got to contaminate us. We've got to influence it. And that's what mature people will do. Mature people will go into the world and influence it for Jesus and not be squeezed into its mold. You see, what we've got to do is we've got to see this world as a gateway to the next world. Do we live in this world understanding that this is temporary, that this is not forever? The 70 years odd or 80 years odd that we're on this planet is a moment in eternity, friends. What's our approach to the world? What is our approach to the world? In this world, you will suffer. You see, maturity says, even if I'm suffering, the world is mine. I'm not the world's. Let's look at the next one. What about life? Life. Jesus taught this. Do not fear those who can only take away this life, but rather fear those that can take away, destroy both body and soul. You know that life is ours, friends? Zoe, that's the word. It's ours. Who knows that life is ours? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's ours, but it is ours. As soon as you live according to the feeling that it isn't yours, you go to jealousy and quarreling and lifting people up. But when you understand that life is ours, the world is ours to influence. Life, the life of God is ours in Christ. And he says this, he says, treat this life worthy of respect. Take this life that you have been given, this opportunity of, of breathing, of influencing, of, having, of making a difference, and live it to the full. See, it's big picture. We don't get caught up in the jealousy, the small jealousy and quarrelings of people when we understand life is ours. And not just life as in we can breathe. Eternal life is ours. What do we do? How do we steward eternal life? Because the Bible doesn't say you will get eternal life. The Bible says you have eternal life. How do you take what you have now, eternal life, resurrection life now, and shoot it for the benefit and the glory of God. You see, if we're going to take ground, friends, we, not, we need to be people that understand what it is to steward life. Life is not something you cling to, it's something that is given to you. Life is that place where we get to exercise faith now. You know, in heaven, when we die and we transition to a new heaven and a new earth, you won't need faith. In fact, you won't even need hope. The hope will be the reality that you live in and you won't need faith and believing what you can't see because you will see it. See, do you know what? Life is ours. This moment that we have to live, a life of faith, 
a life of expectation, a moment to serve God, a life to live in hope with God, is now for 70 or 80 years, and it's ours. Friends, if you haven't got hope for this nation, and you haven't got hope for the politics of the world, and it's all over the place, friends, stop trusting in Donald Trump, or Cyril Ramaphosa, or anybody else. Friends, it's not Apollos or Paul. We follow Jesus. And Jesus gives us life and he gives us hope. But we've got to access it. We've got to access it in him. He says the world is yours and life is yours. Death, he says, is yours. That's quite hectic. You see, these people, he's saying, actually, you shouldn't be scared of death because death is yours. It's not the devils that he gives to you. It's what you've already done in Christ to receive life. I, I wonder, friends, we, we set life goals. You know, we set life goals. How far do your life goals stretch? 70 years into the future? You see, if death is ours, my life goals stretch into eternity. But do we live like that? Do we even plan like that? Have we planned our lives? You know what we do? We take our money and we plan our finances so that we can get to retirement and give to our kids. What if we had an expectation that death was mine to dominate? And we planned our finances, our everything. We planned our life goals with eternity in mind. I think in a hundred thousand years' time, what will I be doing? I've got no idea. But one thing I do know, death is mine. I'm not death's. You see, this is what maturity looks like, friends. We don't live for this world. We live beyond this world into the world to come. And friends, we're going to have way more time in that world than we have in this world. Do we get that? Death is ours. This thing of death is gone. Death is ours. That's why Jesus says, I want you to lay up treasure in heaven. In your planning of your life goals, is there treasure in heaven beyond that? Or is it just treasure on earth for your kids? Because I can tell you now, if you plan for treasure in heaven, the treasure that your kids will get will be far greater than what you could ever provide. You see, death is ours. What about the present? It says the present is yours. You know that the present is God's? This moment is God's moment. We are not at the mercy or the urgency of the present. The tyranny of living for the now. See, this is what he calls maturity. He doesn't say, have you got another prophetic word for me? He says, are you in your mind living in such a way that this world is yours to bring my glory to? That death is not against you, it's yours. The present, this present moment, it's yours. They all belong to you. 
by God, in God, this present moment is yours. You have in this moment to decide and to choose, make some big calls in your life around who you will follow for the rest of your life and into eternity, in this present moment right now. And he says it's yours. It's yours. Decide well. Live well. You see, this present moment where we are messing up friends, we serve and we understand that a people with maturity and understanding know this, is that we don't let the shame of the present cloud the rest of our lives. Because God takes the mess-ups, God takes the absolute rubbish of our lives and weaves it into our lives so that when we look back, we think that it should have been there from the beginning. But you see, you won't understand that. You, you always let the present mess you up unless you understand God is bigger than the present. God is bigger, and this is your moment. We can day to day, in every present moment, every second, every minute, we can choose what we do in those moments. Choose wisely. Choose God. Choose not to fight and quarrel and put people up in pedestals. Rather, choose Him and let Him fashion our lives for the future so that we can inherit a promise. And then lastly, He says this. Not only is the world yours, not only is life yours, not only is death yours, not only is the present yours, but actually the future is yours. Notice that none of these things depend on anything else other than a relationship with God. So there will be moments, there will be times of suffering, there will be times of lack, there will be times of much, there will be time, all sorts of whatever context you find yourself in. He doesn't say how much money is in your bank is, bank is going to determine whether you're going to be happy or not. He says this, the world is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. The present is yours. The future is yours. Don't be scared of the future. Do we know that God's sovereign hand is over the future of this nation and over the future of this world? God's sovereign directional will is over this place, and He will fulfill His will. So the future is not in our hands, it's in His hands. We've got to follow Him and, and make good calls and make good choices so that we can live into that future that is God's. It's an amazing thing, eh? You know, one of the, I asked the band, I was here early this morning, and I said to the band, come, what's the word of the Lord? And Nobs, without thinking, saying, worship God in every moment, or praise God whenever, whatever situation. And then Brandon said, yeah, yeah, that's it. You know what, friends, you know, you know, when, you know when you know that the world is yours, that life is yours, that death is yours, that present is yours, and the future is yours, you know when you know that, is when it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, you can worship Him. When the future looks bleak, I can worship Him. When the present looks tragic, I can worship Him. When life is not going well, I can worship Him. When death is overcoming, I can worship Him. When the world seems greater than everything that's inside of me, I can worship Him. And I want to challenge us this morning, friends. Are we growing up in God, getting rid of jealousies? You know, you know one of the greatest things that I've been challenged with, and it was highlighted again last week when Drew spoke about tongues. Friends, where our tongue goes and where our mouth goes is a measure of maturity. 
It's not just a way to maturity. It is the measure of maturity. James says that if you can control your tongue, you control your whole body. I tell you, friends, one of the greatest things that we've got to do as a nation, as a, as a church, is we've got to learn to put a tight rein on our tongues. We should be praying more and praising more instead of criticizing and damning. And I tell you what, friends, what happens is when we understand death is mine and I'm seeing disease in front of me, death is mine, not yours. Actually, I pray for the sick and what comes out of my mouth is life. You see what I'm saying? It actually changes the whole thing. That's mine in Jesus. Actually, I've got, a, I've got faith. I've got a word. I've got something to contribute to that because that's mine. It's not, it's not, not, not owning me. Our tongues are absolutely key. As Drew said, it's amazing that he uses tongues to edify you. The gift of tongues to edify you and build you up in 1 Corinthians 14. You see, the right use of your tongue edifies and builds you up and sings praises to God. What's the opposite of that? The wrong use of your tongue pulls you down, pulls others down, and brings no glory to God. Worship tells you, I've got this. Praise, the use of our language and our tongue. I'm saying, God, please, I never even want to half criticize or imply anything. I want to just speak life. But I've got to get, God's got to get into my heart because it's the overflow of my heart. This is what Paul says is maturity. And he's urging this group of people to grow up in God. And I want to urge us, friends, to grow up into him. That we see life, that we see death, we see the world, we see the present, and we see the future through the eyes of Jesus and the hope and the love and the kindness and the generosity of his Father that we live it out. Because as soon as we take our eyes off of that, friends, we come back into immaturity and we stop taking ground. Jesus is calling his church in these days to greater levels of maturity. Because part of the reason why he wants to do that is he wants to endow his church with a move of the Spirit and a flow of the Spirit and a release of resurrection life in these days. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And I, and I feel like especially in Durban, God wants to do this. But friends, an immature church will end up fighting and quarreling and saying, that's my guy, and that's the guy that did it. We're going to follow him. Instead of actually Jesus is my center. Life's mine, death's mine, present's mine, future's mine, the world's mine. Actually, I've got everything I need in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.